Hello, and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fant. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fant. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. Hallelujah. Makes me want to rock the boat. Anybody else? Amen. Hey, you know, he's worthy of our praise. And it feels good. I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you. It feels good, doesn't it, to praise him? It's what you and I were made for. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to join me in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter number 10. I hope tonight we can get a little more amen and out of you. Uh, then we owe me and we got a lot of owe me and it seemed like this morning. And uh, hopefully we can get some amening going on uh, tonight. Hebrews chapter 10. If you'll find with me verse number 19, you are going to hear very familiar uh, encouragement, exhortation, if you will, uh, from the author of Hebrews as we saw in Hebrews chapter 4 last Sunday morning. All right? We talked about consistency. There was a phrase there, hold fast the confession. Okay? Now, we said the confession is three words. Y'all help me. What is it? Jesus is Lord. That's our confession. It's shared across uh, the the world in time and geography. Jesus is Lord is the confession of every born-again believer, okay? It's our means of salvation. It's our hope. It's our joy for living. It's where our fruit is found. Jesus is Lord. We said that life is a series of challenges to that confession. Do you agree with that statement? Uh, Everything that you and I do, every decision that we make, Uh, will be a challenge to the confession that Jesus is Lord. The author of Hebrews is writing, comparing the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And the purpose of comparing the two, he points to the greater of the two, that the greatness of the New Covenant in Jesus' blood. And because of that, we see a recurring theme that he says, hold fast, don't slip away, don't back down, don't don't walk away from the faith, stay with Jesus, all right? And so tonight we're going to continue that. Now this morning we talked about and that's, I guess, the first time in almost 18 years that I've ever changed the title in the middle of preaching. And uh, so I love when the Holy Spirit does that, you know. Um, we, we said rock the boat, and, and I pray that you will rock the boat in your house. I pray that you'll rock the boat in your workplace. And what will happen is now, uh, you'll find out when the waves get to rocking a little bit in the boat, you'll find out who's in who's not in. And uh, I, I want to say this to you, though. Growing up, uh, one, of the, one of the things I hated more than anything was to get into like a canoe Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like a narrow little canoe. And to have my dad or one of my sisters rock the boat. Uh, I wanted that thing. Listen, I wanted it to be still. I didn't want to, if I wasn't swimming, I didn't want to get wet. You with me? And, and, and I didn't like, I didn't like that. I, it, would, it would make me so angry when they would rock the boat. And I believe they did it just because they saw that it stirred me. And so today, at the same time, I'm challenging you to rock the boat in every area of your life. And so here's, here's a title of our sermon tonight, and that is uh, Help. Okay, and, and listen, let me just flesh that out. Help while the boat is rocking. So if the Word of God challenges us to rock the boat, to, to live in such a way that calls division um, by the way we live for Jesus, causing division in our, in our relationships with our family, with our friends, with our allegiances, <clears throat> then where can we find help? Because when the boat's rocking, it's a little unsettling. Somebody amen right there. I had no less than 10 people reach out to me today and make this statement in, in similar wording. Until this morning's message, I felt really, really alone and and just dismayed with life because uh, ever since I decided to truly follow Jesus, I don't have any friends. 
And everyone that has sent that to me uh, causes me to think back in my own life. Now, if you, if you were born again and, and you were like me, you, you ran with people who weren't born again and it, or at least didn't live like it. When you were born again and you really went all in and you began living, I'm telling you what'll happen. They'll forget your number. And it's a, it's a terribly lonely place, isn't it? Because here you are, you've, you're, you're learning something new. You've, you, listen, when a person comes to faith in Jesus, that's not the end, that's the beginning. And so because of that, there's a lot of challenges along the way. Uh, we gotta learn a whole lot, right? We gotta learn more of Jesus. We have to learn what it means to walk with him. And it's a, it's a long journey full of difficult things. And it's hard to do alone. Can I make that statement to you again? It's hard to do alone. So tonight... We're going to look to Hebrews uh, to look at some encouragement, to find some encouragement to keep going when the boat's rocking. Because I I challenge you, you be the source of the boat rocking, okay? Uh, You say, which one of us? Whoever of you out there who are born again. I want you this week to go out and rock the boat, man. I'm talking about rock that thing where it just about turns over. And where you'll find help is what we're going to talk about tonight, okay? So would you stand to your feet with me in honor of reading God's Word? And let's read Hebrews chapter number 10 verse 19 and on down through verse number 25, okay? Now, we're gonna be all over the map tonight. We're gonna cover a lot of different scriptures, and I believe it'll encourage your heart before we leave, okay? Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. You there? All right, let's read together. Read along with me as I read. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. What sounds a whole lot like Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, doesn't it? I mean, it's almost identical. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. By his death he made a way. Verse 21. And having a high priest over the house of God. Now there we go with that high priest again. Who is it? Jesus. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession. Uh-oh, there it is again. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope This time it's not just the confession of our faith like in chapter four, but now he says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope because our faith is in Jesus, but also our hope is in Jesus, all right? So the confession of our hope without wavering, without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some people, but exhorting one another and so much more so much the more as you see the day, meaning the final day of judgment, approaching. Uh, Let's pause for a brief word of prayer. Will you bow with me for just a moment? Father, we thank you that you have called us to some very difficult things, but you've also supplied us everything we need to live our lives for your glory. Now, tonight, we ask you once again as we bow before you, Lord, we ask for help. Help in uh, preaching, help in receiving help in transforming our mind, renewing our minds, because we have ideas, we have thoughts, we have, uh, uh, Lord, we have these perspectives shaped by our small little personal experiences, and yet we see them as great. And oftentimes our mind are, are made up, and it's a, it's a danger to us. So tonight, as you help me to preach in all my weaknesses, and you help me to receive and us to receive, Lord, would you also tear down the walls of our perspective And may we live our lives transformed by the truth of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. And so I wanna just, if I could, talk for a minute about what are some ways, and I want you to, can we all talk with me tonight, that'd be okay? All right, what are some ways that we, 
get discouraged in the journey, especially in relationship to rocking the boat. Now, what are we saying rocking the boat? In case you weren't here this morning, rocking the boat, it means living all in for Jesus. If you weren't here, we looked at Matthew 10, and Jesus said uh, to his disciples at the beginning of the chapter, he said, I'm bestowing on you power, remember, to cast out demons and to heal all diseases, and, and, and boy, things are good, and I'd love to be a part of that conversation, wouldn't you? I'd like to be in that group saying, yeah, touch me, touch me. I want to go do I want to go. But then as he walks through it, he says there's going to be, about verse 14, 15, he starts talking about persecution. And then he rounds it out <clears throat> by saying, <clears throat> you think that I came to bring Peace. Matter of fact, he said it this way. Don't think that I came to bring peace. I bring peace. Instead of bringing peace, I bring a sword. Now, what do we say a sword is responsible for doing? Separating things, causing division. If you hit something with a sword, you intend to separate. It's going to separate. It's going to act like a wedge, if you will, and it's going to separate things from together. And Jesus said, that's who I am. I'll I'll, I'll set a father against his son, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, remember? He said, if you love your father and mother more than you love me, you're not worthy of me. And so what Jesus begins to paint the picture of is that when you and I live all in for him, when we love him more than we love our kids, when we love him more than we love our popularity, our spouses, when we love him more than we love our jobs, when we love him so much that all of our life is wrapped up in him, all of a sudden, there are going to be people that don't want to hang out with us anymore. Division. They're going to be against us. Not only are they not going to want to hang out with us, they're going to be people who hate us. That's what Jesus said. Remember, they hated me first. That's what he said. They hated me first. <clears throat> so I'm challenging you to go rock the boat by living all in for Jesus this week, radically, so much so that people are like, man, what's happened to you? You used to just go to church. Now your life is reflecting this Jesus thing. And I pray you'd rock the boat in such a way that all kinds of things happen now. In the midst of rocking that boat, what's going to happen is your friend circle will get a little bit smaller. And what will happen is you'll begin to feel a little beat up, you know, because what I found is um, when somebody hates you for the cause of Christ, they'll team up. Did you know that? Uh, They're real easy to find three or four of them that'll jump on you at the same time, make fun of you and, you know, make you the circle of jokes. And so where can we, where can we, how are we discouraged? Y'all help me out. How, how do we get discouraged out there? Well, I'll, I'll start out fear. Somebody said fear. We're afraid to go and do that, right? Um, what about when we start doing it? How do we get discouraged? People start talking about us, right? I can't believe that so-and-so said that, right? And they start talking about us. What else? Boy, we all talked at one time. I didn't get one single word out of that. Somebody raise their hand. Let me just point to you if I could. Can we do that? Brother Joe, what'd you say? won't listen to us, right? I don't want to hear what we have to say. That's discouraging. We all want to, how many of you know that we really want to belong? And we like to have a group of friends. And I'll tell you, I remember that season in my life so very well um, that, that when those that I thought were, we, here's what we'd say about each other, we're brothers. That's what we'd say. If you saw us in the ballroom, we'd say, man, this is my brother. We'd do anything for each other. And it appeared so until, until, the life of Christ began to be produced in one of us, me, me and some others, all of a sudden, man, you know what you find out? You find out that when you start living all in for the cause of Christ, those that no longer want to hang out, the division it's caused, they really exposed the fact that they were pretending in the first place. Because it wasn't you and your ideas and, and what you fall in love with and who it is that you've given your allegiance to that they're attracted to. It's just the fun that you get to have together and the non-challenging lifestyle that fits in with the ways of the world. 
So discouragement comes in a lot of different ways. People talk about you. How about this? You're possibly losing your job. Some of you out there say, man, I've, I've heard you say this before. I don't, I don't know if I should share my faith or not. I say, I know if you should. You say, well, do you think I ought to press it? You ought to share it. You ought to share it. Jesus said, share it. Now, there's one allegiance, and that's what we talked about this morning, and it'll cause some things, right? It'll cause some situations, and it's a faith issue. Do we really believe he's going to take care of us, right? And so these challenges come to our faith, and we get discouraged really easy, and we find ourselves not wanting to go on, right? And sometimes you find yourself doing this. You say, it's not worth it. You ever thought that way? Anybody here besides me ever thought it, it, it just ain't worth it? <clears throat> and so tonight, where can we go to find the help we need when we, our lifestyle, Christ in us, is rocking the boat, okay? So let's answer that question tonight. Here we go. Uh, pick up, if you will, in Hebrews chapter 10, in verses number 19 to 21. And I want to share with you, man, I got like, I joked this morning, told you I had seven. I really do have six this evening. And number six has a list of about four, so buckle in, all right? All right, here we go. Number one in your notes here, in verses 19 to 21. Now, we're just going to hit this quickly and make the point and move on because it's almost, I'm telling you, it's almost a mirror of last Sunday morning's message on consistency. Number one in your notes, write this down. Whatever we're going to get to at the end, where we're going to get to at the end, number one, Jesus is our reason. So what we're going to get to in the end, the imperative, in other words, what does he tell us to do? There's a couple of things he's going to say, do this. But our motivation is, our reason is Jesus. Okay, now let me show it to you in verses 19 to 21. Before he tells us what to do, he tells us why we should do it. Verse number 19, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest, we are now able to be in the presence of God Almighty because of, not Rankin County water and baptism, right? But because of, somebody help me, by the blood of Jesus. When I read that, I'm, I'm reminded of what uh, Billy Graham's seminary professors told him, that he was going to have to quit talking so much about the blood you know, he said, people just don't, that's kind of weird, and people don't like hearing about the blood all the time, you know, and the truth of the matter is, without the blood, we got nothing, and the scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission or forgiveness of sins, and so Jesus, listen to what he says, we have boldness now to enter into, we can walk in the presence of God because of what Jesus has done for us, verse number 20, by a new and living way, it's not a dead relationship, it's not an old covenant system of sacrifices and laws and rules and regulations, by a new and living way which Jesus consecrated for us. He did it through the veil, that is, his flesh. He made a way for us that is a living way by his death and his resurrection. Verse number 21, and having a high priest over the house of God. So verses 19, 20, and 21 wrap up this, this great reason we have to do the things he's gonna tell us to do next. Does that make sense to you? Before I would ever come to you and ask you to do this, this, and this, I need to tell you why. And that's what the author of Hebrews did. The reason you need to do this, this, and this is because Jesus has made a way for you to walk in the presence of God, and his blood has washed you clean, and you have been made right with him, and you can walk with him, and Jesus did all that. So you ought to do this. Okay, y'all tracking with me? All right, so number one, Jesus is our reason. If anybody asks you why you do what you do, you ought to say Jesus. Now, there's a song I've been telling you about lately called Jesus' Fault. I love it. Uh, with the, things, uh, he said, the, the, the song says something along these lines, if you miss the old me... Well, that's Jesus' fault. Uh, he's changed me. I have a new set of agenda. I have a new theme in my life. I have a new goal. I have a new mission. I'm not the same guy just living for the passing pleasures of the world. I've been transformed. Come on, somebody. And because of that, I'm on a mission. And the reason is Jesus. It's just that simple. The reason is Jesus. Simple yet magnificent. Wouldn't you agree with me? And so what are we to do? Let's talk about that for a minute. So what does he say? Based on Jesus, our high priest, uh, what are we to do? First of all, verse 22, write this in your notes. And by the way, we're, only on, we're already on number two. See how quickly you did that? 
Number two, and you notice, write this. We said first, Jesus is our reason. Number two, write this down. We draw near. He's our reason that we what? We draw near. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to cower. We don't have to stay in the outskirts. We're not, no, no longer are we relegated to the, uh, the court of the Gentiles, <clears throat> but because of Jesus tearing the middle wall of separation now, we're able to come right on in to the presence of God. All right, verse 22. Let us then <clears throat> draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure blood. Christ has atoned for our sin. He's made us right and righteous before God. And because of that, we should not be distant with him. Listen to me. What this means is tomorrow morning when you wake up, he he ought not be the third or fourth person you talk to. What it means is when Tuesday rolls around and and, and Sunday's washed off, you know, and Monday's done happen. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Monday's done happen, and Tuesday's loaded up, and it's 106 degrees outside, and you're thinking about that, and everybody's walking up telling you how hot it is. <clears throat> you, you, you're tracking with me? It's in those moments when we are supposed to draw near to him, spend time with him, listen for him, uh, meditate on him, think about him. I don't know how uh, many of us go on our lives without giving much thought, attention to Jesus. I don't know how you make it in this life without thinking about him constantly. Because there's so much temptation and so much devastation and so much darkness. And so draw near to him. Draw near to Jesus, number three. Number three, Jesus is our reason, okay? We do what we do. What do we do? What are we called to do? We're called to draw near. And so I believe this. I believe every single one of us can draw nearer than we already are. Isn't that good? The rest of my life, I can draw near and near and near until I get home. And when I get home, I'll be so close, huh? I'll be rid of the part of me that keeps distance, you know, and it's going to be a wonderful thing. But until then, we draw near. Number three, we hold fast our confession. So you see, the outline almost goes in in parallel with Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, right? We have a reason, Jesus. We have some imperative. What we're supposed to do, we're supposed to draw near to him. By the way, here's a question to ponder. Could it be that the reason you're struggling so much is that you've not drawn near to him? Thirdly, we hold fast our confession. Why? Because we have a high priest. Why? Because we've been washed by the blood. Why? Because we've been made right in the eyes of God. Why? Because we can confidently come into his presence and find mercy and grace to help in time of need. We can do that. And so he says in verse number, look with me if you will, in verse number 22 and 23, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse number 23, all right? So number three is verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Now, if I ask you this week, if I bump into you somewhere and I say, hey, what is the confession of our hope? What would you say? Please don't hesitate. Some of y'all are like, wait a minute, is this the same as the confession of our faith? Yes. Yes, it is, okay? And it's three words. And it's the same across the board. Geography, right? Geographically, historically, it's the same confession that brings about salvation. What is it? Jesus Jesus is Lord. And so he says, hold fast to that hope of your confession. Why? Because you have Jesus, because of Jesus, what he's done, who he is. Hold fast. Let me say this to you, ready? Quitting is not an option. Shrinking back is not an option. There's too much at stake. Kids and grandkids and people are all around our communities have never heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you believe that I've run into no less than this year, five to 10 people who've never heard the name of Jesus in this, in this county? And they live right next door to some of us. And it ought not be a surprise because here's my question. Have you gone to your neighbor and told them? So it ought not be startling surprise to us. We feel like everybody's going to just show up at the church and maybe the preacher will do it. 
But the author of Hebrews is writing not to the pastor. He's writing to every born-again believer. And he's saying that because of Jesus, because we have a high priest, because the blood is so powerful to wash us clean, because we can walk in the presence of God all the time, we ought to draw near to him, and we ought to hold fast and never let go of Jesus Christ as Lord. Every moment of every hour, every day. Remember the context of Hebrews. There's an audience of people who are trying to be wooed back, not just wooed back, but forced back through persecution to the old covenant. They're being, they're being enticed to, 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 to renounce Christ and to go back to the Old Testament sacrificial systems in which is no hope and no faith and no way to be right with God since the new covenant is signed in Jesus' blood. So he's challenging them to draw near and to hold fast their confession, okay? Now, truth be told, uh, we oftentimes find ourselves, don't we, want to quit? And let me ask you something. What's the single greatest reason that you and I oftentimes find ourselves want to throw our hands up? Hmm, think about it for a minute. Okay, keep thinking, keep thinking. I'm gonna sum it up in one group, and all those are right, but it goes into one group. Because of people. Because of people. Whether the people are us, or whether the people we're dealing with, or the people that we're sharing the gospel with, or the people that we're trying to serve, it's because people oftentimes act like people. Can you believe that? Isn't that startling? That human beings would act human? It's crazy, isn't it? It's an absurd thought that you and I wouldn't live perfectly from here on out. And yet, even though that sounds foolish to your ears, think about how you treat people when they wrong you. You're treating them as if they're a perfect finished product and they're not. And so consider this evening, would you, if, if you will, look back with me in verse number 23 and into 24, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. See what he's saying here? You can't be one way one day and one day the next <clears throat> for he who promises faithful. Why? It goes back to him, not to you. It goes back to him. Why would you be faithful? Because he's faithful. Why would you be rock solid? Because he's rock solid. Why would you keep going? Because he kept going. Why would you have a whatever it takes attitude? Because Jesus said, whatever it takes, I'll go all the way to save them. And so what a beautiful passage. Verse 24, let us consider one another. Now we're going to move on just a little bit. So we hold fast our confession. Number four, I told you we're, we're moving right on through this thing. Number four, write this in your notes. What else do we do? We draw near. We hold fast our confession of hope. <clears throat> that is that Jesus is Lord. We keep pressing on, we keep making disciples, we keep teaching the kids, we keep serving in the nursery, we keep telling people about the saving grace of Jesus Christ, we keep cooking meals for folk, we keep visiting people in the hospital, we keep doing all those things because of who we are. It's not what we do. Boy, we got silent out there. It's not what we do, it's who we are. And so we keep doing that, right? Now, uh, let's just talk for just a minute about verse number 24, okay? And we're gonna break it down in two parts. So number four, we consider, here's the next thing we do. We, we draw near, we hold fast our confession. Number four, this will be the third thing that we do, we consider each other. Now, this is where we struggle. This is where we struggle. Y'all tracking with me? This is where Hickory Ridge struggles. <clears throat> this is where First Baptist struggles. Uh, this is where restoration struggles. Uh, this is where every church struggles because at the core, we're selfish. At the core of our being, me and you, nature of Adam, we wake up in the morning, who's the first person we think about? Ourself, what's, what's hurting today? Okay, all right, no, this isn't hurting, that's hurting. A little personal evaluation, right? Uh, what do I want? Oh, I want a cup of coffee. And so, right, we begin where? Right here, we wake up pre-programmed, ready to go. for some, We have to really spend some time with Jesus before we think about anybody else, don't we? <laughs> we really do. Now, when you think about that, what he says in verse number 24, based on Jesus being our high priest, verse 24, let us consider one another. Let us consider, that word means to carefully think about. It means that uh, when I look at you, I ought to be thinking about carefully 
your growth in Christ? First, do you know him? Is it possible that you don't know Jesus? And so if so, well, why would I not come and ask you? <laughs> and isn't that a novel idea? And share with you the good news of Jesus. And then if you do, wouldn't it, wouldn't it then, most of you in here that I know, uh, wouldn't it then be sensible for me then to consider your growth? Uh, I should never be satisfied saying, boy, we've baptized around 150 people this year. That should never satisfy me. Because that's the beginning point. And what comes next is critically important for believers to mature and rock the boat, have all they need to rock the boat. And the reason the boat's not getting rocked and culture keeps on sailing smoothly right on into hell is because not many of us are considering each other. And so I just wanted to tonight just ask you, when's the last time you really gave deep thought about the spiritual maturity of another believer? When you looked at them, you thought, I wonder where they're at. I wonder how mature. I wonder if they're growing. I wonder if they're having the fruit. And I'm not talking about like judgment for condemnation. You tracking with me? I'm not talking about that. That's the work of the devil. I'm talking about judgment for edification. You see the difference? Somebody said, no, we're not supposed to judge each other. Hogwash. Paul said, we judge those inside the church. God judges those outside the church. Now, we don't judge for condemnation, but we judge for edification. What does that mean? I'm not pointing to you and telling you what's wrong with you so that you feel condemned and less than. I'm looking at you, putting my arm around you and saying, hey, here's some things you need to consider because they should be present in our lives so that we can go out and rock the boat. Now, I want you to think for just a second, okay? Question was, when's the last time you spent a lot of time thinking deeply about somebody in here, and I'm, I'm gonna speak here to the people who are, who are, I hate to say officially members, but you know, membership biblically, you can't really find a verse, but it's a thing that, it's a thing that we do as, as, as people that say, hey, I believe what's being preached here, and I wanna, I wanna be a part of that. I agree with what's being preached and taught and done here. And so if that be the case, this is your faith family, right? You're part of a bigger family, but this is the small section of the faith family that you're a part of here serving in. When's the last time you thought about people when they came in? I wonder how they're growing. Or here's the second level, you ready? I wonder what I could do. I wonder what I could do to help him grow. Or, or ladies, or ladies, what, I wonder what I could do to help her grow. Now I want you to contrast that with something with me. I want you to contrast that with this. Uh, the last time you thought about her and what she had on and how pretty she looked or how, how unpretty she looked. And I want you guys to think about the last time you thought about how in shape he was or wasn't in shape or how, what, how new his truck was or what kind of boat he had hooked up to it or if he didn't have a boat. And I, I, I'm not saying we don't think about each other. We do. We just think the wrong thoughts about each other. Selfishness. What do you have versus what I have? How do you look versus, versus how I look? And what the writer of Hebrews is saying, because we have this wonderful high priest who made us right with God with his own blood, we then, as followers of Christ, ought to put some deep thought into thinking about, now listen, I need to think about where my brother's at, and I need to see about how I can help him grow, and I need to find people who are a little further down the road that can help me grow, and I need to be around, here it is, the church, the church. So we're to consider each other, right? Selfish nature causes us to think about ourselves and to compare to others, which leads to gossip and slander. Now, I want to just speak to that for just a minute if I can. Y'all going to give me liberty here? I go, great, thank you for that. <clears throat> I get a little bit fed up with conversations that go on out there in that foyer, that common area. I hear some of the most unchristian things being said from one person about another person, and it grieves my heart to no end. And I'm 
I think I'm about to make a turn in my ministry in this 18th year. I'm fixing to start sitting down with the person who said it and the person who said they said said it. And we're just gonna have to start having meetings, whether it's me or Brother Jimmy or, or Gerald, and we're just gonna start sitting down one at a time and addressing what was said with the person who said that the person said it and the person who said it. And I'm, notice I didn't say, hey, do y'all agree with that? Let's vote on it. I'm saying that's how the Holy Ghost of God is leading me to be the under shepherd. So, here's a brief warning. If you start slandering folks, just know we're gonna have a meeting together. And I love you, I'm not, this is not a threatening kind of thing, I love you, but the church of God is too important for us to run her down. I wouldn't like you talking about my wife, and I'm certain that Jesus does not like you talking about his. Whether it was done or whether it wasn't done, whether it was said or wasn't said, whether the person did wrong or did right, it's never our responsibility to condemn with our mouths. So let's be careful, amen? Let's be careful. Listen, God's doing a great thing here. We, we don't wanna mess it up. You know, my, somebody asked me one time, what's your, been your most greatest prayer focus all these years? I said, one thing. They said, you pray one thing all these years? Yeah, one thing. God, don't let me mess it up. God, don't let me mess it up. One more thing, I'm not quite through. <clears throat> one more thing, y'all ready for this? One more thing. If somebody begins to open their mouth about somebody else to you, stop them. Stop them gently, but stop them. Say, hey, you know what? I'm not gonna listen to that kind of nonsense anymore. I used to be so bad about that, so let's just, let's don't even talk about that. Let's talk about how hot it is outside. <laughs> yeah, or, or let's talk about the fact that this year, we've had almost 150 people baptized and saved. Let's talk about how many people are in discipleship. Let's talk about who you're discipling. Next time, I got it. Next time somebody gossips to you, you ask them about who they're discipling. How things are going, how you can encourage them, how you could pray for them in the journey. So, why, why did you take the time to do that, preacher? Because the message I'm preaching tonight is about why, where's my help when the boat is rocking? It's supposed to be in here. It's supposed to be that I'm living so radically out there that I'm rocking the boat everywhere I go and the world hates me for it. Then I can come into here and have a group of people who know that I'm not perfect, but who'll love me and who'll cheer me on, who'll pray for me, and who'll walk beside me all the way to the finish line. And that's what it's supposed to look like. That's what it's supposed to look like. Oh, I wish I could tell you how many moves of God have been thwarted by the mouths of professing believers. So let's be careful. So we consider each other. Next, verse number 24, second part, we provoke, uh, I love that word, don't you? Some of you are saying, you look provoked right now. I am provoked, you know why? <clears throat> I don't appreciate harming my family of faith. I don't like that. I didn't like when my sisters harmed each other at home when they'd get to fighting and what have you, and I do not take kindly to my faith family harming each other. It's supposed to be a, safe place, a place for us to grow together and encourage you. Okay, I'm trying to move on. I really am. We provoke others to press on. That's what we do. So listen to what he says in verse 24. Let us consider. So we're supposed to put some deep, careful thought, not in what somebody's wearing, not in what they're doing in their private life, but we're supposed to put some deep thought into how they can mature, how I can help them mature. Are they maturing? What needs to happen in order that they might mature? And then I'm supposed to come up with a plan. That's what that word provoke. Read it with me, verse 24. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. That word stir up, you know what it means in the Greek? It literally translates provoke. Anybody ever provoke you? <laughs> Poke fun at you? 
say things, do things that provoke you, right? And so provoke is not a negative word. It depends on how you're provoked, right? So this, this idea of provoking is that by how we're rocking the boat, what does that mean? Living for Jesus with all that we are. By how we're living that way, other people want to live for him that way too. When they see us all in and they see us not slandering and gossiping, when they see us serving without complaining, when they see us saying, hey, I want to be used, put me wherever you need me, when they see us generously giving because we know the mission costs, when they see us making disciples, putting our life with somebody else and stop saying I don't have time, I'm telling you what it'll do. It'll stir somebody else up to come on. It'll stir them up. They'll say, man, you, you really look like you're enjoying what's going I need to begin to shape my life that way. So we provoke each other. Uh, you and I ought to be the reason somebody chooses to come to church here. You, you and I ought to be the reason somebody chooses to serve the Lord and to keep on serving to the finish line. We ought to be the reason. Let me move on if I can. We've reached number six. Can you believe that? I told you there's a list of four. So just hang on, get your color code. Here we go. Number four, Hebrews 10 and verse 25, one of my favorite verses in all the scripture. Write this down. We talked about what we do based on Jesus our reason, all right? We draw near, y'all help me, walk through the outline, we hold fast, we consider each other, we provoke others to press on, keep going. In other words, that word literally means um, to keep cheering them on, right? To, to help them along the way. And then number six, we gather for great purpose. Let me ask you a question, write that down, we gather for great purpose. Write it down, then I'm gonna ask you something, okay? I don't want to mess you up. You'll write down what I ask, so I'm going to give you a second to write it. We gather for what? Great purpose, okay? Great purpose. Now, here's the question. Now, don't answer it out loud, please, but I want you to give it a little thought. Why do you come to church? Now, don't answer it. Just think about it. Why do you come? Okay? All right. <clears throat> Somebody, anybody care to say why it is? I mean, there's no wrong answers. We're just giving, Mr. Dix, why do you come? to grow near to God. All right, back there in the back. I can't be taught the word of God. All right, what, any other things you can think of? Why, why do you come? There were about three people willing to say, love on people. Grow your brothers. Fellowship. All right, Joey. Oh, find some strength. Amen. So the boat's rocking. Who rocked the boat? Me and you. When do we rock it? Outside these walls. We go out and live for Jesus with reckless abandon. What do we have to be afraid of? God be for us, who can be against us? So we go and live, and we don't consider the opinions and thoughts of others. We just live it for Jesus. And I'm not talking about mean-spirited, hammering folks. I'm talking about authentically in our personal life, we walk with Jesus hand in hand. When we do that, people are offended. They're mad. They don't like truth. They don't want to hear that we're supposed to surrender and follow Jesus. They don't like that. Our, our nature doesn't... And so the boat's rocking out there and people are attacking us and they're talking about us and we come together here for great purpose. I'm gonna give you four, not all of them. This is not exhaustive, but I wanna give you four great reasons, okay? Great purposes that we gather for. All right, y'all ready? Number one, write in your notes here. First, let me read Hebrews 10, 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Now, someone said to me, 1,475,212 times, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You don't have to go home to be married either but I would encourage you, you need to do that because that marriage is going to be a wreck if you never go home. It's going to be a wreck. If you don't invest, if you don't talk, if you don't spend time together, I'm telling you something, it's going to be a wreck. 
So when we consider what it means to not forsake, someone said to me, Where, I, don't, I don't have to go to church. Who said you didn't? Who said you don't have to go to church? Who told you that? I mean, I just want you to think about it. You've thought it. I've thought it. Who told you you didn't have to go to church? Hebrews 10.25 says what? Go to church. Simply put, gather. Now, we know that church is not a, you know, it's not the building, it's the people. But when we designate a spot to come together, that's, that's the church. He says, don't forsake it. I'm going to go a little deeper in that in just a minute, okay? So why, why do you come? We talked about a lot of different reasons. <laughs> Whoever gave you the nonsensical idea that you don't have to go? And then we go to the authority of the word, and the word says, go. It says, go. And by the way, I want to thank you for being a people who are going. You realize that in a lot of churches, there's no gathering on tonight, on Sunday night. And sometimes what happens, people say, well, the preacher this and the preacher that. What happens is you, you, a lot of the guys I talk to, they, they'll preach for a month, and there'll be three people that show up. Now, I know what you're thinking. He ought to just keep preaching anyway. They do for years, you know, three people. Have 100 in the morning, and three people show up. So I'm saying to you, thank you for being a people who are coming. You with me? Who are coming, who are, go, who are gathering. You're taking it serious. But I want you to take this message out to your friends. And when they start telling you, I don't have to, you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, let's talk about that. I can't wait to, to get this message out, not just in here, it's out there, getting out right now. And for people, I tell you, I get some of the greatest feedback in different countries from the podcast where they hear these sermons and they, for the first time, hear something that goes against what culture has told them. You do have to go to church if you're a follower of Jesus. You are the church. And he says, don't forsake it. Now, I'm gonna talk about that word in a minute. Now, four reasons, here they are. Number one, for encouragement. For encouragement. Somebody said that, to be encouraged, Right? Let me read, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting. That word exhorting literally means encouragement. It's parakaleo, and it means to encourage or to cheer on. I find myself sometimes, here, here's my greatest struggle uh, about gathering, usually Wednesday afternoon. After counseling a whole bunch and, and stuff going on, you know, constantly, and preaching Tuesday morning early at 6, you know, 6 a.m., and and usually by Wednesday afternoon after a full day, I'm like, man, I'm just wore out. I don't feel good. I, I just don't want to go. But what I know is if I can just get here around the people of God, I, I just know people come up to me and say, man, I'm glad you're here. What? Encouragement. You hear that? Cheering me on. Man, I can't wait to hear the word that God has for us. Cheering me on. Let me ask you something. Who are you cheering on? Who are you cheering on? I'm afraid sometimes we get so trapped in our difficulty in life that we miss out on the fact that we're, <laughs> here's a funny thing, you ready? We're God's cheerleaders. And we're supposed to be cheering for our brothers and sisters, not against. And we're supposed to be giving words of encouragement, saying, come on, you can do it. And when we fall, and we will, we pick each other up and dust each other off and we say, now, come on again, let's go again. You can do it. Come on, get up. I know you've fallen four times. Scripture says a righteous man falls seven times, eight times he gets up again. I believe this because he has the people of God around him saying, come on, get up. Come on, you can do this. I know you can. I'm here for you. I'm praying for you. Let me send you some scriptures to help you, to encourage you along the journey. But many of us are just too busy. We're too wrapped up in the details of our life. We fail to realize that that's the purpose of our gathering, it's not just to get the word from God. It's not just to hear preaching. It's not just, 
is to, is to be at the door, is to be moving around this world. You know what, you know what thrills my soul when I, start, when I see people doing it in here? It's when you don't just come in and sit in your neighborhood and park your stuff and don't get up. But what thrills my soul is I glance over my shoulder and I see some of you leave out of your neighborhood. You know, we, it's hard for us to get out of our neighborhood sometimes. Get out of our neighborhood and go visit this neighborhood over here and find somebody that looks discouraged. And I watch it sometimes. I can just watch it sometimes. I can see a brother or sister go over here and they, or over there and they'll say a few things and that person all of a sudden their countenance changes. That's it, cheering each other on. <clears throat> you ought to come in looking for an opportunity. Okay, God, give me spiritual eyes to see who's struggling so I can go cheer them on. There's somebody in here tonight that's hanging on by a thread, and you and I are here to cheer each other on to keep going. Why? Because the boat's rocking. Why? Because we're living for the glory of God, and the world hates us. And so we need to cheer each other on. All right, encouragement, number one, encouragement. Uh, let me give you a verse to go along with that. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, quickly, because we're running out of time. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. Comfort, build up. That's what we're here for. Okay? Here's a good question. This just popped into my mind. When's the last time you cheered somebody on? When's the last time you just looked somebody right in the eyes and said, I believe in you. I'm praying for you. You can do this. You can do this by the power and the authority of Jesus' name and the word of God. I'm, I'm, listen, I know you can because he can. When's the last time you did that? And if it's been a while or... If, it, if it's been never, what are you waiting on to get started? I wonder if tonight the Holy Ghost of God transform your mind and you become one of God's cheerleaders. You'd be looking for people to say, come on, you got this. You got this, I'm cheering for you. God's got you, come on, you're gonna make it. You're gonna make it. Don't give up, all right, cheering. Number one, encouragement. Number two, number two, we hold each other accountable. Now that's the one that we sort of shy away from. <clears throat> we hold each other accountable. Let me give you a verse. That'd be okay so you don't think I made it up. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1. Read along with me as it comes on the overhead. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So you're here to help me and I'm here to help you. Now, we don't do that publicly. We don't do that embarrassingly. We have to develop relationships to do that, right? We got to spend some time together to do that. And so we have to invest in, in one another to do that. And then we have these relationships formed as we serve the Lord together that we can in privacy say, hey, listen, I know that you've fallen into this. I want you to know I'm praying for you. How can I help you? What can I do to help you? How can I pray specifically for you? Hey, I'm going to call and check on you. If you're struggling at lunchtime, overeating, I'm going to call you at lunch and pray for you before you hit the lunch, lunch line. Hey, if you're struggling with pornography, hey, I'm going to, you tell me when you, when you text me when you're getting weak and I'll call you and we'll pray together. It is, uh, it is the accountability factor. It keeps us, listen, from developing blind spots. He said, don't forsake the gathering. No, you don't have to, but if you love Jesus, you love his bride. If you love his bride, you want to be with her. You want to help her. You want to cheer her on. Number three, we go after each other when we wander. You know, sometimes we wander. I find myself oftentimes on Facebook memories. Y'all know what I'm talking about? We'll say like six years ago and seven years ago and 10 years ago. I find myself oftentimes looking at the picture from down at South Campus or wherever, and I, and I immediately blow it up. You know what I'm talking about? Like, take your fingers and make it larger. And I start looking at the faces in the picture, and I begin to th ask the question, Lord, where are these people? And I, what I mean is not, not geographically, but where are they spiritually? And I look at this one, I say, oh man, that guy's a teacher now. 
And when he came in here, <laughs> he was like me, a hot mess. And man, look at her. She's serving in this ministry now. Man, look at that. And then I said, look at this guy. I don't know where in the world he is. Hadn't seen him in, in years. And it happens continually. So, so we're, listen, let me give you a, a verse. I'm not going to give you specific. Luke chapter 15. What happens there that Jesus gives this illustration of the 99 just righteous sheep that are safe in the fold, and one out of that nine, or excuse me, one from the hundred leaves. And what he, the, the illustration he gives is that what we should leave the 99 and go after the one. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you went after somebody who's wandered? This is a good question to ask ourselves. Are you being the church? You see, you're one of God's great resources for the believer. So am I, if we're living according to his, his plan and will. You're one of the great resources, resources of God for the people of God to live the mission of God by encouragement, by holding each other accountable, by going after one another when we wander. And then finally, finally, listen, let me just give you some verses. I want to read it before I tell you what number four is. Look on the overhead of Luke 15, verses 22 to 24. Do you know what's happening in Luke 22, verses, uh, Luke 15, 22 to 24? It's, <clears throat> it is when the prodigal son has come home. Are y'all familiar with that? Uh, I, it's funny because I had a, a friend who was preaching on that this morning. He texted me the, his, his message early this morning, and he said, I'm preaching the, the prodigal son. I said, no, you're preaching the loving father. And he just sort of paused. He said, I got to change my title. Um, because there's two brothers there. Why are we going to pick one to name it after? By the way, neither one of the boys is the hero of the story. It is the father who represents God. So it's a parable of the loving father, right? Makes sense? Now, what's happened is the son has gone away. Prodigal living. The word prodigal means wasteful. He's wasted the resources of the father, okay? He's come to the father and basically said to him, you might as well be dead to me. I just want what you'd give me if you were dead. I don't even care about a relationship. I don't want your rules. I just want to go. Give me, give me some, some benefits and then I'm gone. I don't, I don't care about you. And he does, and he goes and wastes away. You remember what happens. He finds himself. Anybody remember where he finds himself? Pig pen. And boy, I heard Shane Fraser give a talk on that at our men's weekend, son. He talked about decorating a pig pen. Woo! Instead of coming home to the father, just putting up, you know, pictures and putting a rug down and still a pig pen. But the difference is when you return to him, when you really come to him, boy, he takes you out of that pig pen. So he comes home, and the father goes to him. Do you remember? And what it says is that when he sees the son a long ways off, what does he do? Remember what the father does? He runs. I love that song, he ran to me. The father runs to him, runs to him. But there's something interesting about the parable that oftentimes we forget. So let's read Luke 15, 22 to 24. It's going to be on the overhead for us, okay? <clears throat> but the father said to, y'all help me, his servants. Now remember, it's a parable, so it's an earthly story that has heavenly meaning. There's representation. The father represents God. Uh, the father said to his servants, bring out, y'all help me, put it on him. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and on his feet. Can y'all see them servants going to fetch that stuff? And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Listen, somebody's got to run all the way back to the house, and somebody's got to get the robe. Not just a robe, but the best robe. And somebody's got to go and get the ring, the signet ring. Somebody's got to go and search and look for it. Somebody's got to run back, you know? And, and can you imagine if it was like today, and I said to you, hey, run out to the far end of the bus barn and grab the, man, there'd be a bunch of us saying, no, it's hot out there, I'm not, uh-uh. 
But the servants, what do they do? There's no back talk. There's no cross talk. There's no debating. They just, they just do it. They just take off, man, and they go get the robe, and they go get the ring, but somebody's also got to get the sandals. And if it's like my house, you know, they're probably misplaced, and you had to look for them, right? So somebody's digging through stuff, looking for the right sandals to take to the sun. Somebody else has got to go out to the, to the, to the, with the livestock and get the fatted calf, and that's going to take a bunch of men. Doesn't that sound fun to get to kill the fatted calf? I'm sure they're thinking to themselves, man, I'd rather be doing something else today besides this but you don't hear any rebuttal. Somebody goes and gets the fatted calf, and he says, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat. So somebody's got to cook. Somebody's got to get the fire going. Somebody's got to prepare the utensils, right? Somebody's got to get the table set up, somewhere for us to sit down. Somebody's got to, and there's all this serving to do, right? At the Father's beckoning call, at the Father's demand. Who is it that represented here as the servants? You ready? It's the church. In the parable, you oftentimes hear about the father represented by the father and the two boys representing two different mind frames. But understand that the father has a group of servants that are supposed to carry out his will. And that, my friend, if you're born again, is you and me. And that's why we're supposed to be the help when the boat's rocking. That's why when there's a lady coming in here and her husband don't want anything to do with God, he's so full of the world and full of the fun things the world has to offer, and when she talks to him about it, he doesn't want to hear that nonsense, and it's why when she comes in here and she's struggling and the weight of that's on her, you and I are supposed to cheer her on, encourage her, pray for her, pray for him. Not spend our time slandering and gossiping, but spend time praying and being sensitive to the Spirit's leading. And I could give you a thousand cases like that, many different scenarios, a lot of our faith family struggling with things, you know, trying to walk with Jesus while the boat's rocking. And if we're not careful, we'll contribute to their drowning, if you will. We'll contribute to their quitting. We'll contribute to their burnout instead of being the help that we're supposed to be. Now I want to close like this. Here's what the church is screaming. You ready? Verse 25, notice in your Bible, if you have the New King James, it says, verse 25 starts with two words. The two words are, all right, everybody together like you mean it, okay? Not forsaking. <clears throat> two words, not forsaking. Do you know that that word in the Greek, I'm not going to try to pronounce it. It's a whole lot of letters. But here's what it means, to leave behind. Write it down somewhere in your notes. Write not forsaking out there in your notes. Do that. Then I want you to write out what the literal Greek word means. You ready? Write this in your notes somewhere. Here's what it means. To leave behind. You ready? Tell me when you're ready. I'll give you the next, next part. To leave behind. Here's the picture. God's call, ecclesia, the word for church in the New Testament. We're called out of the world. Okay? We gather and God has ordained the pastor as preacher under shepherd to teach and preach the word of God. That's the central thing that we do that nourishes us, that calls us out of darkness, that saves us, that equips us, okay? But we got a whole bunch of people coming in here and they're going out living it and as they're going out living it, they're rocking the boat and when they're rocking the boat, they're facing all kind of trial and tribulation and all kind of difficulty and they're supposed to be able to come here and be helped, okay? And some of us by not coming are leaving the church behind. 
The picture here is of a child trying to keep up with a group, and the child is small or the, the person is somehow disabled and not able to keep up. And this idea of leaving behind is someone looking and, and noticing that they're not able to keep up and walking off without them anyway. But here's the next part of the definition. You ready? To leave behind. Here's another one. You ready? To abandon. To abandon. Just imagine this. When you and I choose not to be a part of a gathering, a local gathering, we are abandoning the children of God. We've left them behind. We've said we don't care enough about you to be part of the church. We come, listen, and our, oftentimes our mindset is we come to get what we can get, and we fail to realize that that's only part of the equation. We get what God gives us through the word and through the teaching and through the opportunities, but we also give. And I don't just mean money. I'm talking about encouragement and accountability and all those things that we talked about. So to abandon. Here's another word. It means the same thing. You ready? So to leave behind, to abandon. Here's another one. To desert. To desert. Now, I'm not talking about like a banana split dessert. I'm talking about like what happened to a friend of mine when his daddy started a relationship with his secretary and abandoned his family and, and, and walked away from his mom and him. That, that's the idea. Y'all tracking with me? The idea is to be able to be a part of the equation to help like a father in the home, but he deserted him for this other lady. And the picture then of us, when we choose to say, I'm not going, I'm going out on the boat, I'm going, I'm going to do whatever I want to do, I got things I want to do, I'll fit it in when I can, I'm tired, I'm this, I'm that. We're saying, you're not important enough to me for me to come invest in you. And let me just say something to you, that is a very sad frame of mind. Wouldn't you agree with me? Can you imagine, what if Jesus had that mind frame towards us? I'm not investing in you, I'm tired of fooling with you. And this message is not to beat us down and cause us to look at the carpet, but I pray unto God it'd wake me and you up. That it would cause us to see how important is the gathering of the believers. The nonsensical idea that says, I don't have to go to church to be saved is not even worth using the breath on. Of course, my salvation's found in Jesus Christ alone, his shed blood and his resurrection, and my receiving him as Lord of my own life. That's where my salvation rests. But my friend, when I've been born again, that I'm supposed to now understand that he's master, I'm servant. And he said, don't abandon the gathering. Don't turn your back on my bride. I oftentimes look out across here and I think about the people who aren't here when they're not here and I hear the church screaming, don't abandon me. Don't abandon me. I hear you and me in our difficulties and times we're supposed to lean on each other and that somebody that we are close to that we should be leaning on is no longer here. They've abandoned us. And I just want to encourage you today that you would hear that like a, like a imagine this if you would. If you'd imagine for just a minute <clears throat> the church being the bride of Christ. You understand this, what the scripture says about us and how much he cherishes his bride you understand? How much does Jesus love the church? Well, the cross said it all. And if he then loves the church in such a magnificent fashion, don't you think you and I should? I mean, doesn't it make logical sense that if he loves her like that, then we ought to love her like that? And aren't you thankful that he loved us unconditionally? 
I want to one, one more thing that really just wears on my nerves. You ready? The immature idea that I'm only going to be part of the church if the church is perfect. Now, please don't giggle because we take turns with that attitude. I spend a lot of my time talking people out of that. You know, like little like children says, oh, y'all going to be like that? I'm taking my dolls and going home. That's, listen, what if Jesus approached you that way? What, what if Jesus said to you today, well, that's how you're going to act? Fine, I'm leaving you to yourself. And so I'm praying that you and I would, I'm praying a nice message, you know what I'm saying? I'm praying it's maturing us right now. I don't think we have to go 20 years to get mature. I don't. I believe the word of God, the spirit of God has, has the ability to transform us in the moment it's spoken to us. Do you believe that? I believe it does. I, I woke up this morning and I said, wow, these two messages go so hand in hand. This morning we talked about we're supposed to rock the boat by living for him all in. I mean, radically living for him. It'll turn husband against wife, son against uh, father, daughter against mother. It'll cause all kind of division when you live all in for Jesus. And so we got this chaos at home and chaos in the world. And so where can we find our help? Here's the answer. You ready? The church. Amen. His church. Let's pray together. Will you bow your head with me? I know I'm surprised as you are we're out of time. I felt like we were just getting warmed up. Now, I want you just to be still for a minute and consider what it is the Lord just spoken to your heart. Chances are, if you're like me, the Spirit may have highlighted some things that need to change. If that's you tonight, I just want to encourage you to slip your hand up, and both of mine are raised. There's some things in my heart need to change and my idea of the church. Just slip your hand up. Would you just pray that prayer where you're seated? God, change my heart. Change my heart toward your church. Help me to understand that you don't treat me as a finished product. You have grace and patience with me, and I want to be like you, Master. I want to have grace and patience for your church, for your people. You see, sometimes I think about the day in which I'll stand before King Jesus. I do. I think about that a lot. And I know Tina won't be with me. And I know my mom and dad won't be with me. And my kids and grandkids won't be with me. I know it'll just be me. Just me. And I know he's given me a great gift. I know he has. And he's given me his magnificent spirit. He has delivered into my hands his written word, the breath of God. In my, I, have it, I have several copies. And I know one day I'll give an account for how I nurtured the church. Not how many people came. He brings the increase. But if I was willing to rock the boat. See, I believe the boat was rocked a little bit tonight. There may be some division here. Some of you may not like me after this. Some of you listen to this later on. You may say, man, I don't ever want to listen to that guy again because the boat got rocked a little bit. But don't you believe it's good when you and I get to what the Scripture really says about a matter? May the Spirit of God deal with me and you in our chair right where we're at, me up here at the pulpit. May the Spirit of the Lord just deal with us as children, as his children tonight. I want to say that the altar's open. I do believe with all my heart there ought to be folk coming down in repentance, just coming to the altar and saying, Lord, forgive me for how I've treated your church, for what's come out of my mouth, for how I've just sort of halfway committed. Matter of fact, I want to say this. As people are starting to stand up and make their way down, would you stand up and make it available for people to come out of your row in case it's not you? 
Maybe you'd be compelled of the Holy Ghost to come pray for the church. Maybe you'd feel compelled to do that. Just come down, just, Lord, would you help us to be the help while the boat is rocking? Maybe you just come and pray for that. Maybe you come pray for the leadership here at Hickory Ridge. Maybe you come and pray for small group leaders, the Bible teachers. Maybe somebody just, right now, the Holy Spirit's saying, go to that altar and pray for the Bible teachers. We don't call them small group leaders, we call them Bible teachers. I'm going to wait just a minute, just give you an opportunity to come. Maybe there's somebody here you've said something about. Uh-oh. You want to talk about when real revival breaks out? When you're willing to humble yourself and go find that person and say, listen, I'm sorry what I said about you. I didn't even know if it was true. I just repeated it. Would you forgive me? Let's just sort of sit here for a moment, see how the Spirit leads. I'm praying God give me and you a vision of the church. I mean the church. What the church should look like. What the church ought to be like. Help for one another. Encourage and cheering each other on. I believe there's somebody here tonight who needs to be cheered on. Matter of fact, let me do this. If it's you, if tonight you're just hanging on by a thread and you just need to be cheered on a little bit, I'm gonna ask you to be seated. Would you just sit down right where you are? Just right on your row there. Just sit down. Just have, I just want the people beside you to pray for you. They can pray silently. You just need somebody to cheer you on a little bit. Would you be willing to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and just be seated? You need somebody to cheer you on to be an example at work. You need somebody to cheer you on to be the leader of your home, to follow uh, the leadership of your husband, to be an encourager.